0: Well, greetings Society takes everybody, welcome to my YouTube channel, my name is John Campia and this is a companion video. Now, what are companion videos? Well... I'm often glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campbell Show, Monday through Friday, we take time to take your live questions that you guys send in with your tips. However, we often don't have enough time to get caught up on all the questions that get sent in. But if you supported the channel and sent in some great fun topics for us to talk about, I want to make sure they get answered as quickly as possible on one of our videos. And so we gather up the unused ones and we address them here on companion videos. And a little quick side note, uh, I was going to record this earlier. But I just got caught up watching football and watching Tom Brady. Dear, I, I know you're not here to talk about sports or anything, but but just this is remarkable, whether you're a sports fan or not. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, a team that has not made the playoffs in, I, I don't know, a decade more. I can't remember how long it's been. Tom Brady's first year there. They make the playoffs. They win their first playoff game in over a decade. Then they win again tonight against the immortal and incredible Drew Brees uh, and the New Orleans Saints. With that win... Tom Brady has now won, in his career, 32 playoff games. To put that into perspective, the second most winning playoff quarterback in history, Joe Montana, has won half the amount that Tom Brady has at uh, with with getting 16 Tom Brady has 32 and then there's three quarterbacks who are 14 it's uh, John Elway uh, Terry Bradshaw and uh, the great Peyton Manning or the one so it's just just incredible so anyway I had to finish watching that game I couldn't get away from that game had to finish watching it but now that that game's done let's get on over and start taking your questions that you got sent in shall we we're going to start things off here with Chris who writes hey John love all that you do thank you so much Chris Looking back, uh, what was your favorite moment of Schnepp's The Death of Superman Lives What Happened documentary? For me, it was seeing all the concept art that was created for the look of Krypton and Brainiac. Thanks and have an awesome day. Yeah, for those of you guys who don't know, let me bring this up here. Death of Superman What Happened. Okay. So, um, the late, great John Schnepp, of course, made a wonderful documentary. Uh, called The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened? And it was basically looking at this movie that came this close to getting made, that Tim Burton was going to direct, that Nicolas Cage was going to play Superman in. It was going to be called The Death of Superman. Um, and asking, you know, uh, or sorry, it was called uh, Superman Lives, what it was called, Superman Lives. And uh, And then it kind of, just before it started shooting, it got derailed. And so he made this documentary about that almost happened film, The Death of Superman Lives, what happened uh it is wonderful if you have not had chance to see it just go onto google search for the the death of superman lives what happened and you should find a link to this web page here where you can still today go and rent it or buy it or whatever and i highly encourage that you do at any rate um my favorite part of it has to be um him interviewing john peters and of course john peters is that guy that uh if you want to see the most entertaining thing on youtube ever Kevin Smith, who was the writer of The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened, uh, telling the story about working with John Peters. It is some of the most hilarious, crazy stuff you've ever seen. Just go on YouTube and search for Kevin Smith, John Peters, Superman. Just search that and you will find the videos of Kevin Smith talking about John Peters. Anyway, John Schnepp was able to get John Peters, the the guy who was going to be the producer of The Death of Superman Lives, uh, to talk about the experiences of almost making that movie. And those interviews were my favorite part of John Schnep's movie. Again, if you guys haven't had a chance uh, to see it, I highly recommend you go and check it out. Again, just search YouTube for The Death of Superman Lives What Happened. You will come across uh, this website where you can just go and rent it, watch it, whatever. It's a to- like, forget that John Schnepp made it. It's a great documentary regardless. And if you're a film fan, you should definitely go and check that out. All right, thanks for sending that in, Chris. Okay, next up. We got Sergeant Ward who writes, hey, John, if you had the opportunity to go to Pandora, get an avatar body and live with the Navi for the rest of your life, would you? With Anne, of course, absolutely not. That would be boring as hell. Uh, Sorry, I'm a modern technology guy. I would have no use for that place whatsoever. I would because of the depressing world that we live in. I would love to escape with that beautiful world now. I mean, listen, I would totally go on vacation uh, to where, where, what was the name of the Pandora? I would totally go on vacation to Pandora gather up some unobtainium, make my fortune, but no, sorry, no Netflix, no HBO max, no Disney plus. No, thank you. Uh, nope. I mean, definitely would want to go and visit there. I mean, look, and it is joking aside, what James Cameron was able to, create in this idyllic world of pandora i mean it was breathtaking and beautiful and gorgeous it's absolutely stunning but would i actually if i had the magical option just go and live there instead of in this world even with all of its problems nope not me (laughs) not me all right thanks for saying that in sergeant all right next up uh john writes hey john and crew after doing some quick maths, I realized that this year we'll get 46 to 47 weeks of the new of new MCU content if the movies won't overlap with the Disney plus shows and if uh and if other than what if, all the other shows will only have six episodes, thoughts and thanks. Well I'm not sure that that's true um, because I mean some shows aren't coming out until 2022 right they're not all all the announced shows aren't coming out this year so i'm not sure if that's true but regardless of the maths regardless of the maths the fact of the matter is uh for those of us who are fans of mcu content and whether you're a fan of any comic book content whether it's dcu other stuff mcu we've gone through a very long dry period I mean, there are worse things because of the pandemic, but if, you know, talking about in our little box, our world of movies, it's been a very long dry period, and we're getting rewarded by getting a year ahead of us with a lot of content. We've already had the first two episodes of WandaVision. I think it, if this holds up, it's going to be my wife's all-time favorite show. I like the first two episodes of WandaVision. I didn't. I'm not falling over my heels in love with it, but I like the first couple of episodes. I really like the old you know, the, uh, the homage, the old sitcoms, while at the same time teasing us with something deeper is going on. I'm looking forward to seeing where it's going, but man, we are going to get a lot of content this year. And, you know, then we're going to have the theatrical films as well on top of all that. It's just an exciting, exciting, exciting time. And uh, maybe that'll help make up for the uh, crap fest that the uh, last 12 months have been, shall it? All right, next up, Chris Flack writes, Hey, John. Do you think we will ever see Blade, Spider-Man, and Morbius together on the big screen? Also, who's your favorite anti-hero and why? Well, we'll take one question at a time here. Here's the thing about Blade, Spider-Man, and Morbius. When you ask, will we ever? Whenever you ask a question that has the word ever or could, the answer is always yes. Because ever is a very long time. Do I think we're going to see Blade, Spider-Man, and Morbius in the same movie in the next two years no i don't think we will but it's possible but listen in hollywood in a movie making terms five years is an eternity who knows what'll happen in four years or five years so if i had to put some money down and guess about whether or not we would ever see that well sure and it could be sooner rather than later. I mean, look, the, the, with all the hints that Morbius could be getting, taking part in the MCU. And of course, we got Blade coming at some point and Spider-Man. And, I mean, it could come sooner rather than later. So yes, the answer is definitely, could we ever see it? Yes. Do I think we'll see it in the next two years? I'm guessing no, but it's possible. I mean, it's these these characters all have a certain level of connection. So we'll have to wait and see. Thanks for sending that in, Chris. All right. Augie writes, uh, when I was in seventh grade, my teacher showed us a movie that I fell in love with, but forgot the title and uh, forgot the title to it and never saw it again. Yesterday, I saw your companion video and you pulled up the life is beautiful poster. My eyes lit up and instantly remembered life is beautiful. Let me, let me get this up here. Uh, life is beautiful. Life is beautiful is like, honestly. It's one of the best movies ever made. Uh, in, in my opinion, Life is Beautiful is just, just it, it flat out is one of the best movies ever made. It is endearing and charming and you laugh and you cry and you feel. That's the thing. Like I always talk about how I believe movies are experiential events, right? <clears throat> and movies need to make us feel something. Whether it's shock or joy or delight or thrilled or tension or sadness or, or whatever, movies are meant to be experiential events. And Life is Beautiful, there are very, very few movies that I've ever seen that just flat out make you feel the way Life is Beautiful makes you feel. You know the old adage: "You'll laugh, you'll cry." I don't think I've ever heard, seen a movie that that better relates to. So I'm really glad uh, that I was able to remind you of that movie, and I'm really glad you have an appreciation for it, man. All right, next up, uh, Orange Handwrites. Let's say that Plagueis was in the sequel trilogy, as some fans speculated. Would it make more sense that Palpatine failed to kill him and that he'd been alive the whole time or that he died but successfully came back despite Palpatine's claim to the contrary? It, if he came back, it I mean, both of those scenarios make sense, right? They both make sense. Palpatine thought he killed Plagueis and was wrong. That works narratively speaking, from a common sense point of view, that could work. We've seen that trope used in many movies where a villain thought they killed the hero or a hero thought they killed the villain. Turns out they actually didn't. So that would work perfectly fine. However, in this particular circumstance, the other one works perfectly fine as well, logically. I mean, Palpatine says himself, Plagueis was able to unlock the secret of cheating death. So what makes you think you could kill him? I mean, that, that's the one thing I always say, why are you so sure you killed him when you just told us he unlocked the secret to cheating death? So I, honestly, to me, both of them would have worked perfectly fine. I, and look, you know how I feel about the rise of Skywalker. I i, I thought it was frankly a terrible movie, um, but I'm not, it, it had its upside and I understand there's a lot of people that like it and I totally get it. There's things to like in the movie. There are. I personally found it terrible, but that's just me. We all experience movies differently. I, I did. I didn't happen to like that one. That being said, um, I kind of feel like almost any other story would have made more sense. and been better, and either of those two would have worked just fine too. Anyway, uh, next up, Augie writes. Thank you, John, and the film fan community. Now that I finally know the title of the movie, Life Is Beautiful, I'm going to go rewatch it. I've always heard you guys talk about it, and I always assumed I never saw it. And now you know what it is. And again. I mean, I, I go on and on just about every chance I have, uh, talking about life is beautiful and it's there's a reason for it. And seriously, guys, if you guys get a chance, go and check it out. I think you will be glad that you did. All right. Next up, uh, Dr. Green writes. Uh, hey, John, opinions on climate change, you worried. We're not here to talk about any of that. I, I appreciate you writing a question, Dr. Green. I do, but we have all, I mean, even though climate is should be a human issue and really shouldn't be a political issue, it is something that everybody has politicized, and so- We don't talk anything hot button politics here on the show. Not because I don't have opinions on political issues. I do, but I usually share those on my social media channels. My YouTube space is meant to be a place that all of us are film fans and we all get to come together regardless of your thing. So we just avoid stuff like that. But I do appreciate you sending in a question nonetheless, Dr. Green. All right, next up, Sergeant Ward writes, uh, what's up, John, what is the most relaxing and calmest you've seen? What is the most relaxing and calmest you've seen? You have seen? Do you mean what is the most relaxing and calmest movie I've seen? Uh, and when, and you would recommend? Uh, I'm talking stressful day gone. I'm talking stressful day gone peaceful movie. Not really sure exactly what you're asking here. If you're asking about what movies do I put on that really make me feel peaceful and relaxed and calm? Um, I'm gonna say something that you're probably not expecting good comedies nothing makes me feel more relaxed and unwound and everything like laughing i think most people would agree i mean you've you've heard the old saying right laughter cures everything it's i mean and and it's the funny thing is the science shows that like somebody who laughs a lot there is actual real health benefits to it but um yeah to me it's just it's not a movie about an old man who decides to wander the forests and live with the beautiful creatures of the wood. No, I mean, that sounds very calming and everything, but honestly, like sitting down, when I've had a super stressful day or if I'm in the midst of a very stressful time, popping on 40-year-old virgin or Zoolander or Galaxy Quest or uh, Noises Off or Anchorman Man. Or whatever just a really good comedy that just makes me laugh uh, that nothing relaxes me more than that so to me it's just a really good comedy that that's what i would say at any rate sergeant all right next up rebel rebel uh rebel plot armor writes On average, do you prefer the Star Wars Legends universe or the Disney canon books thus far? I enjoyed the legend books a lot, and they certainly were not all masterpieces. However, for the most part, I have not really liked the majority of the Disney canon books. Um, Look, they both have hits and misses. Like while the Legends has the Heir to the Empire series, which we commonly call the Grand Admiral Thrawn trilogy right? That came out decades ago. And those are some of the best Star Wars books ever written. They're they're, they're fantastic. That said, um, there was a lot of terrible books. And I a lot of people forget how many books came out. There were a lot of terrible, terrible books that came out during that time. And there are certainly a few that I really liked, but and if you look today, there are certainly some some poor ones. I'm not a big fan. Oh, I can't even remember the name. Let, let me see if I can just find the name of this thing. Um, uh, doo, 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 doo. Let me see if I can find this in uh, in books. Hold on a second. I'm not sure I can. I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of this series. Um, in the books, there are the new. Uh, there are the, there are the new Thron books, which are really good. Um, Damn it! What is the name of that recent? C- there were three books, and I can now not remember the name of them. But uh, whatever, um, those ones I'm not a very big fan of, and I can't even remember the name. I'm just scrolling through Amazon right now, trying to find uh, the name of these of these books, and I'm having a very difficult time doing it. Aftermath aftermath what well, i, I pause this for a second so you can find aftermath those star wars aftermath books i did not like them uh, i also was not a big fan of the very first one the very first uh star wars new canon book that they put out in the new canon era was star wars new dawn which was basically a rebels prequel it's kind of like the beginning of of rebels it's not terrible uh but it's it's not great that said the majority of the books in the new canon that I've read or listened to on Audible have been quite good. Um, the Thrawn novels have been quite good. Uh, not the best, but the new the new Thrawn books have been quite good. They paint a very different picture of Thrawn than we see in the Rebels show. Uh, a very heroic Thrawn, but nonetheless, that Leia one with Bloodlines was very good. the The Claudia Gray absolutely one of the best star wars books ever written lost stars lost stars is so uh, completely fantastic the tarkin no- novel just called tarkin about uh, gramoff tarkin wonderful wonderful um there was also a book about um oh damn uh what is the name of the uh phasma phasma is what i was trying to think of <laughs> i was trying to think of phasma um so Star Wars Phasma was was pretty good. I, I liked Phasma. That was a pretty decent one. But maybe the best Star Wars novel I've ever read was Lords of the Sith. Um, for those you who don't know much about it, uh, let's see if I can find it here. Star Wars Lords of the Sith is basically, it's about more than this, but the, the main crux of it is the emperor and vader end up crash landing on a planet and they have to survive and it's gripping and thrilling and wonderful and fantastic on I mean, so many levels it's absolutely incredible um and there are a couple others too so i gotta say um like i said both the old legend stuff and the new canon have their hits and misses um, but i gotta say overall i kind of like the new canon stuff and again they've made they put out stuff that i didn't like but overall i'd say i give the uh, nod to the uh to the new ones but that's just me all right uh, there's no wrong answer to that though all right let's see william everval writes i got the first covid vaccine but there's two shots or at least the uh what is the one um pfizer the pfizer one does have two shots there are other ones that don't require two shots but there it is uh but there is two shots. I would suggest two things. Uh, get it in the arm. Uh, you don't use as much because your arm gets very sore. I've had that happen with other vaccines. Uh, continue wearing a mask until they, say you, uh, until they say you can't catch it or spread it. Think about the other. Wise words and good on you for getting it. And I hope you're able to get the second shot sooner, sooner rather than later, as I hope the rest of us can, too. I just found out that me and my wife won't qualify to get it till at least March, which is fine. There are a lot of other people who need it more than we do. All right. Thanks for sending that in, William. And an anonymous is for your rights. Uh, family, religion, friendship—there are three. These are three demons you must slay if you wish to succeed in business. All right, I think. I mean, it sounds like something Gordon Gecko would say in Wall Street, played by Michael Douglas. But I actually, I think I remember seeing a meme. I think I saw an animated gif with this of of Mr. Burns from Simpsons. So I'm going to go with that that's a Mr. Burns from Simpsons one. That's what I'm going to go with at least. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is Gecko. I'm not sure. I'm going to go with Mr. Burns. All right, thanks. Sergeant Ward Rice. Um they caps story end. They caps story end. And you probably mean the the Cap story end and passing the torch was way too huge to just make him come back for more movies. No, not at all. Uh, my opinion: this is for Doctor Strange, and it's going to be a significant cameo that was important enough to report. You can't change my mind. It's facts. No, it's definitely not facts at all. Uh, listen, there is no such thing in the movies, particularly in the MCU, where. Well, that was too important to just undo. Really? Look at Infinity War with this incredible, emotional, quote-unquote, death scene of Peter Parker, Spider-Man. One of the more powerful scenes in any movie that entire year. I don't want to go with Mr. Stalk dies and people are crying in the theater boo-hoo and everybody's weeping and crying because it's a powerful scene and and robert downey jr's performance in that scene and blah blah it was completely and utterly powerful and strong and wonderful moving moment now if you were somebody who didn't know any better that the mcu is actually the marvel fake death universe if you didn't know that any better and and you didn't know marvel's track record of not never keeping anybody dead then you might say, if someone were saying, you know, they're bringing Spider-Man back just in the next movie, you'd probably say they wouldn't do that. That would undo um, this major, important, powerful, powerful scene from the... It would undo all that. It would mean that scene was meaningless and useless if he just comes back. Guess what they did? They just brought him back. Because that's what they do. Captain America didn't even die. So, yeah, listen, one of the things, and and I will say this as a positive for Marvel. I will say this as a positive. Marvel worries about what makes this movie in front of us right now the most entertaining for our audience. It doesn't matter what happened in previous movies. Those moments happened. See, here's the thing. Even when we watched Endgame, the moment we first saw Peter Parker dying on Titan, and dusting in Tony Stark's arms, that moment we as an audience had happened. And that will never be taken away. Nothing will change that. That moment happened. We saw it as an audience. We had that experience. I mean, I was—I didn't get too wound up by it because I knew he was just coming back anyway. But, but for a lot of people, that moment happened. Nothing that they can do in movies moving forward will ever undo that. Just like the fantastic, hilarious The Hangover does not get ruined by The Hangover 2. No matter how not great The Hangover 2 was, it doesn't matter. My experience with The Hangover happened and nothing can take that away and change that, right? So, you know, Steve didn't even die. He went back in time, did some things, fulfilled some dreams. So what? That happened in Endgame. It happened. We as an audience got to feel that for Captain America. Great, it's happened. That can never be changed. No matter what they do in movies moving forward. So they can just have Cap come back and say, America's ass is back. I mean, that's all they have to do. And they can come up with some cockamamie way for him to say that he still had his dance and to say he still got to have his life. For all we know, like just old man, Steve, just boom, gets touched by some cosmic rain. Like all of a sudden he's 38 again and Captain America again. And it doesn't undo anything. It never undoes anything. You had that moment and that never changes. So I, I disagree with you, Sergeant. I disagree. Now, whether they bring him back in Dr. Strange, that very well could be the case. Maybe it'll be, as you say, a very significant cameo and all that kind of, stuff. it could be all that. But again, it doesn't change anything that happened with our experiences with previous movies. They happened. Nothing that happens moving forward can change it. That's just kind of my thoughts. And that's a fact. All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. Next up. Uh, champagne poppy 51 writes sup john rob obviously it's just me today quick question i recall coming across an article claiming the russos were involved in a live action hercules movie for disney i do recall that yes any word on that the kellen lutz movie was atrocious it wasn't so great Uh, and i wasn't a big fan of the rocks version you're a beast well thank you so much yeah i didn't love the rocks one either i love the rock but he doesn't always crank out the best movies Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. Uh, Hercules was not the best movie. Let's let's just call it what? Kellen Lutz. You know, I like Kellen Lutz. And he's, he's actually got very good acting chops. He really does. And I just don't know if it was bad role selection that kind of created a stigma around him or whatever. I really did think for a while he was going to be, you know, not an A-list star, but I really thought he was going to have a very, very long career. Um, I, I don't know what, for all I know, maybe he's a regular on a series that I don't watch right now, but I, re- but yeah, anyway, Kellen, let's uh, come on. I have really heard nothing else about it. Um, they don't seem to be working with Disney right now. I'm sure they love Disney and I'm sure Disney loves them, but they're really getting their Agbo production company going, all that kind of stuff. I don't think, let me just look up on their IMDB, uh their imdb page right now i'll just go to joe's page and right now on joe's page uh he's of course one of the russo brothers uh passing strength well no he's still got they still got the hercules thing listed as announced that means nothing has happened and it doesn't necessarily mean anything is still going now this is him listed as a producer what do they got going on with hercules anything oh they had dave Callahan writing on it okay that's interesting um yeah, looks like nothing. Yeah, looks like nothing's really moved. So, I don't know. I at this point, I will just take a guess. My guess is it's probably scrapped. I don't know that. I I'm not basing that on anything. I'm just saying at this point, uh having heard really nothing uh talked about it or reported on it in a long time, I'm going to guess it's just simply not happening. Uh again, That's just me taking a wild guess. It could very well could. Maybe we'll get a big announcement about it tomorrow. But that's where I'm thinking right now. I had totally forgotten about that. Thank you so much for bringing that up, Champagne. All right, next up, Connor S. writes: Do you think Disney could be bringing back Chris Evans to possibly fill the void of T'Challa in the future of the MCU? Uh, Evans is only 39, and he's on record saying that he wants to continue playing the character. No, no, I don't think that. Um, Listen, you you already know what I think. I've been saying for over a year, ever since Endgame, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans will be back. They just will. It may not be in a year, it may not be in two years, it may not be in three years, but they will be back. So no, the tragic passing of uh, Chadwick Boseman, I don't think had any influence on Chris Evans coming back, not to mention the particular hole that the death of Chadwick Boseman leaves behind is is honestly not one that chris evans can fill um i mean i think that's self explanatory so i I don't think that particular hole that that he leaves behind is one that chris evans himself can fill uh chris evans does a lot for the mcu captain america does a lot for the mcu he is the beating heart of the mcu he is the moral north star of the mcu him and Tony were the two faces of the MCU, and um, and and again, it's only a matter of time before Robert Downey Jr. is back too. Again, maybe not in one year, maybe not in two, maybe not even in three, but he'll be back too. He'll be back. But no, I don't. I honestly, honestly, do not think the the tragic passing of uh, of uh, T'Challa uh, has anything to do with it. I really don't. I, I think Chadwick's passing was tragic and awful but i think chris was coming back regardless so I, I don't think this one has anything i could be wrong about that like kevin feige, feige may come out someday and you know express that he really does but for now i'm just going to guess that it doesn't anyway thanks for asking that connor next up b wayne new york writes john rob have you heard about new york governor cuomo new Reopen Entertainment Plan. Over the weekend, 7,000 Buffalo Bills fans attended the playoffs game after getting a quick result in 15-minute COVID test. I had no idea about that. Uh, with masks on and distancing, it's designed to safely reopen sports shows and yes, cinemas. Listen, I am all whatever you need to do to get things up and running again, particularly in entertainment, and we'll include sporting events in that. What I was thinking was, hey, listen, you want to once we get 100 million vaccinations, you know, they're saying they're going to try to get 100 million vaccinations in the first 100 days. That's pretty ambitious. I don't know that they can do it, but let's say they do. I am all for reopen cinemas and just say, when you pick up your ticket, you've got to show your vaccination card. At least till the end of 2021, you know. You got it. For the rest of 2021, okay, movie theaters can open, but you can only allow people come in if they also show that they've got a vaccination card. I didn't know there were any COVID tests that could be done in 15 minutes available like that. Like I believe the UFC had like very quick turnaround COVID tests. I did not know 15-minute COVID tests existed. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Um man, that would be difficult for things like movie theaters like somebody comes like it would be more expensive for the theater to conduct those tests than the money they'd be getting from people buying tickets. So I'm not sure about that. But listen, I'm all for any plan. Now that we have vaccinations happening, I am for any plan that can expedite us safely getting people back into stadiums and auditoriums and movie theaters. I'm all for it. anything they can come up with sounds good to me. And uh, if that's how they pulled the thing off, At Buffalo, by the way, good luck to the Bills. You're going to be playing a very, very... They got a tall order against Mahomes and the Chiefs next week. But but, uh, yeah, anything they can come up with to do that, dude, I am 100% completely all for. All right, next up, we've got Dr. Film who writes, Since Apple is getting into the movie business, is there a change they can be... Is there you is there a chance they can be both in the theatrical and streaming business? Absolutely. I mean the new Scorsese movie in cinemas and Cherry supposed to come to theaters first. Do you think Apple will do this? Yes. Yeah, I do. Apple kind of laid the gauntlet down that they want to get into the entertainment business. Apple TV first, but they're going to move beyond just that. They are content creators and the very fact that they agreed to make to fund this 200 million dollar uh, Children of the Killer Moon, I think that's what it's called, this $200 million Marty Scorsese film and commit to making it a theatrical exclusive film first and then later it'll go on to Apple+. Plus. I believe that's a sure sign that, yeah, Apple is very much interested in getting into the content creation business and will develop like straight up Apple Studios if it doesn't already exist to some degree. So yes, I completely believe they will move in that direction. Uh, At some point, we'll see. But I do believe that's the direction they're heading. All right, next up. Orange Handwrites. So, The Mandalorian is essentially a Western and has Timothy Oliphant as a Marshal, W. Earl Brown as the alien bartender, and Titus Welliver as an Imperial officer. I geeked out so much when I saw him pop up as that officer on that ship. Uh, Anyway, my only wish for the show right now is to see Ian McShane. Uh, Give him any role, he'll kill it. I mean, I love Ian McShane by the way i watched american gods season one and i never got around to watching season two i don't have the network anymore um and so you guys need to tell me if that's continued to be good because i really liked ian mcshane in that yeah and what's not to love about ian mcshane he's great but again characters are not there to serve the actors actors are there to serve a character if they have a character that Ian McShane would be a great fit for, by all means do it, but don't just put him in for the sake of putting him in. You know what I mean? I I think that doesn't do Ian McShane any justice, but uh, I will continue to look forward to and love everything Ian McShane does. I'm with you on that orange hand. All right, next up, Isaac Beebe writes, Hey John, so today marks the 12th anniversary of the miracle on the Hudson. So having said that, what are your thoughts on the movie Sully with Tom Hanks and Aaron Eckhart about the events of that day and the hearings that followed on it? I thought the movie was great. Yeah, it was directed by, if I'm not mistaken, that was a Clint Eastwood directed film. If I'm not mistaken, I thought it was a very powerful movie, especially as you get into the, like the third act with the actual, like it wasn't a trial, but the actual hearings and that it was done very, very well with a, a really great main character. I love the dynamic between, you know, Eckhart, his second and Tom Hanks. I thought that was great. Hmm. Yeah. I thought the movie was really good. I never followed when it was like the actual events when it was, I, I mean, after the actual plane landing in the river, after that, I never followed the hearings and the drama that went on. I never followed that when it was happening. So a lot of the stuff that was happening in the movie was really the first time I knew of it or had been exposed to it. But uh, yeah, I thought the movie was quite good, Isaac. As a matter of fact, if you guys haven't seen Sully, you should. It's it's a nice piece. Nice piece. Not, you know, not Clint Eastwood's best movie, but a very good one. Yet another very good one that he made. All right, Amin writes, Hey guys, in terms of the Oscars this year, if it happens, it looks like it, it shouldn't happen, but it looks like it will happen. Um, and award season in general. I wanted to ask what some of the best films slash performances the last year were so that I could check out uh the front runners and the ones getting the most awards buzz. Well, I don't, I I haven't done any sort of uh best of list of 2020. I just thought it was too much of a write-off year. There that's not to say there weren't some really good movies. There were. But I mean just do a quick Google search of best movies of 2020 if you want. But the two that stand out to me the most. Uh one was Oddly enough, a Netflix film, uh, cause normally Netflix movies suck, but my favorite film of the year was a Netflix film. It was trial of the Chicago seven, uh, directed by Aaron Sorkin, his second major motion picture. The other one he, of course he did was Molly's game, which I thought that was fantastic as well. But uh, I mean, trial of the Chicago seven, I expected it to be good. I expected I would like it. I was not prepared for how much I would love that movie. It's an amazing film and truly the best of the year. But the other one, and you guys have heard me say this a lot, that flew under the radar for a lot of people, because it just looks like maybe a little bit of a throwaway film, but is the Guy Ritchie, The Gentleman with Matthew McConaughey. I love that movie. Now, granted, it it, it appeals to a part of me that really likes that kind of film, because I am also a big, big fan of Guy Ritchie's Other stylized films like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and uh, Snatch. Those are two of my favorite films. To see him really get back to those roots, even after the great job he did with Aladdin, he did an amazing job with Aladdin, but I love The Gentleman. And it was, I thought it was going to end up being my favorite film of 2020, until I saw Trial of the Chicago 7. Now, I like it more than most people do. You won't see a lot of people mentioning The Gentleman on their top list, and that's fine. All film is subjective. That's just how the film hit me. But those are the two that I talk about the most, I mean, so I would highly recommend checking those two out. All right, next up. Wes Papes writes, Hey, John, big fan of the show. Thank you so much, Wes. I've been wondering if you could turn any albums into movies. What would you pick? Uh, Think The Wall by Pink Floyd does an example. None. None. I, I, uh, no, none. I love, that's like, to me, that's like saying, if you could turn any pizza into a movie, which would it be? Well, that would be Pizza Hut's Meat Lovers Pizza, obviously. The Pizza Hut Meat Lovers Pizza is the greatest pizza ever created in mankind. Make a movie out of it. it, To me, it makes just as much sense to do that. Now, they have done The Wall, but uh, yeah, none. I mean, look, my all-time favorite album is uh, Joshua Tree by U2. I think that's the greatest album ever made. Uh, but that's up for debate as well amongst a lot of people. But I, would I turn that into a movie? No, <laughs> no. So there, actually, there is a documentary. There's Rattling Home, which is a U2 documentary on the album Rattling Rattle Home. But no, nah, honestly, Wes, none come to mind. None come to mind. That's just me. Thanks. That's an interesting question, though. All right, next up, uh, Aaron E. writes, Hey, John, and hopefully Rob. Obviously, Rob's not here right now. I am a diehard Supernatural fan. Good on you. It was the only show I watched live when it premiered and when it had its series finale. Is there any TV show you watched live at the premiere and when it had its final episode? I can't think of any, like not even Supernatural. I got on the Supernatural train a little bit late. Like it it was either into the second season or into the third season that I actually watched an episode, thought it looked pretty good. And so I went back to the beginning and started watching from season one, episode one. Honestly, it looked like a throwaway CW show. I mean, it just, that's what it looked like, but I gave it a shot, kind of liked what I saw, went back to the beginning, fell in love with it. Can I think of any other show? Oh, yes, yes, one. Well, two. Uh, I was late to the party also with Sons of Anarchy, so not, not, not that one, but uh, Spartacus, which is my second or third all-time favorite show. I watched the premiere because my friend who was on this show, Erin Cummings, was one of the co-stars. She played Spartacus's wife in the show. First couple of episodes, some of the worst episodes in television history. I only kept watching because Aaron was in it, but I'm glad I did because it became one of my all-time favorite shows. And the other one is my number one all-time favorite show, which is Ronald D. Moore's Battlestar Galactica. I was in Canada at the time. Uh, I was visiting Canada, or I I, was I visiting Canada, or was I still living in Canada? I can't remember now. Anyway, uh, but I remember I was at the Campia Ranch. I was at my my family's place when the first uh, pilot thing, kind of the first two-part miniseries thing aired. And I watched it right through, religiously, until the finale. And and, and I, there was a group of friends that we would like, it was, it's the last show up that I remember that I was part of a group of friends that would get together every week to watch that show. Now, lots of shows that I watched very regularly, but that was the one. I didn't watch Game of Thrones from the beginning. I actually, I didn't start watching Game of Thrones until the day of the season one finale. And my buddy Dennis, Dennis Zen, he had a watch party at his house that was an all day watch party where they were going to rewatch all of Game of Thrones season one and then end with watching the series or the season finale later that night. And that was my first time ever watching it. But yeah, the ones I can remember watching all the way through... Spartacus uh, game of or, uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica. Those are the two that I can think of. So anyway, nice one. I'm glad you were a fan of supernatural, uh, Aaron. All right, next up. We've got Ryan Loner who writes uh, scratch another classic movie off my list. I finally saw midnight cowboy and among all the awesome things about it. Uh, one that I'm surprised that I heard not heard anything about it beforehand is that this was one of the best edited movies I've ever seen. Just about every single cut is interesting in some way and does a fantastic job of putting you in the main character's head. From now on, this is going to be my object lesson in what a film editor's job is and how much they can add to a movie. I'll be honest with you. Now, this is one with uh, Dustin Hoffman and... Oh, dude, why am I freezing on Angelina Jolie's dad? Angelina Jolie's dad. um, uh, Voy No uh what who is ah and he was just in um Donovan uh Jose Don Don Donovan he was just in Donovan that's what he was in the show and I cannot I want to say Voight Ray Donovan that was it uh Ray Donovan the series with of Schreiber and it was what was why freezing on this guy's name John Voight John Voight I knew it was Voight John Voight so it was John Voight and um it was it's great but I got to admit it's been a good 10 15 years since I've seen it Voight Dustin Hoffman um it's been a, so I can't I can't specifically remember the editing in it but now you've totally made me think about it and now I've got to go back and watch it again just so I can see the editing. Cause now that you're talking about the editing, now I gotta go back and uh and watch it again. I mean, look, this is a movie that came out, I believe, before I was even born. I mean, so yeah, I, I obviously saw it well later. And I think I think I like I said, I think last time I saw it was 10 or 15 years ago. But I need to go back and watch it again. But it's always go good to bring up those classics. And yeah, Midnight Cowboys Really good. So I'm glad you brought that one up. Thanks, man. All right. Next up, we've got a silly goose who writes, like Rob, I'm a man of strength and integrity since I also collect physical media. I know it will inevitably fade into obscurity and it pains me. There is something inside me that cannot rest until I have the movie in my hands. Anyway, have a nice day. Yeah. I mean, listen, and I've got a number of friends who are diehard physical media guys. I am not for a plethora of reasons. But I often get asked, because it is fading away to obscurity, it's not going to disappear altogether. But, I mean, the era of physical media is disappearing. I mean, Rob will be the one to tell you and lay out all the stats that prove it. it. It is going to be disappearing. I often get asked if I think people should then, if people who love physical media should give up buying physical media now, to which I say absolutely not. If anything, the fact that it is slowly disappearing probably means now more than ever, you should be collecting it. If you are indeed a physical media guy, now's the time more than ever to collect it because it's not going to be readily available. Let's say that it's not going to be easily and readily available for much longer. Like five years from now, it's going to be tough to, you know, when a great movie comes out that you really like trying to find some way to get it on physical media. So if you love collecting physical media, I don't tell people to give up on it. I say now is the time to really start going after the the ones, the content that you want. Because between the fact that, you know, the biggest and most major Blu-ray player things, are, they're just not making them anymore. Despite the fact that the sales have dropped continuously, like exponentially year over year. Again, Rob's a good one to give all the facts on this. Despite the fact that all, even the major content producers now are trying to, you know, um shoehorn everything over into the streaming world. They want you to have to go to streaming if you want to be able to watch. It's just coming. But again, I think that means now more than ever if you are a physical media lover, now's the time to to really build up your collection. I think now's the time. So don't give up on it. Go get it if that's if that's the stuff that you really love. Again, I can't relate with that. I completely became like a digital guy almost 10 years ago, but but if you love that stuff, now's the time to get into it even more. Silly goose. All right, Alex uh, Quilter writes, "Hey John, longtime fan from the UK. Thank you so much, Alex. And was thinking about Chris Evans's return as Cap. I think it could be uh, Ant Man three as Kang will be the villain and is a time traveler. What do you think? Well, I mean that's one of the possibilities, uh, but I don't think it's any better of a possibility than any of the other ones. Now listen, it, yeah, in the comics." Kang is a time traveler. That doesn't automatically, I mean, I think they'll do that in the movie, but it doesn't automatically mean they're going to make that a part of his character in the movie. The movies are the movies, the comics are the comics, and there's a lot of times they do not connect the two. So that's possible. But here's the thing. You don't need time travel to bring back Captain America. There are 50 different ways if you wanted to, and you're Kevin Feige, you just say, this is why Cap's back. There's a thousand different ways you could do it. Because since it's their movie, they can make up anything they want. They can make up any reason they want. <clears throat> and, and it doesn't need to be Kang. It could be a billion other things that they come up with. Anything that Kevin Feige's imagination can come up with can happen. Now, a good argument is for maybe it being Ant Man three, is the fact that Ant Man is such a Captain America fanboy. I mean that some of the stuff in Captain America Civil War, when some of the best scenes was just Ant Man like geeking out. You're Captain America. I mean you're great too, but you're Captain America. I mean that is some of the most charming best stuff. So that would line up. But again, it's possible. But I think there are probably some other options that are more likely. But uh, just add another one to the list, man. Add another one to the list, Alex. Either way, I'm just excited to see him back. I'm just excited to see him back. Whether that's probably not going to be for a couple of years, that it actually happens, but I'm excited for it either way. All right. Next up, Phil Costa writes, Greetings from Portugal. Thank you, Phil. Good to meet you. Today, January the 15th, is my 40th birthday. And oh, happy birthday to you, my friend. Uh, and I decided... Uh, to treat myself by sending my first tip to my favorite YouTuber, which has been a part of my life since the AMC days. Oh, thanks so much, man. I appreciate that, dude. Uh, For you and Rob, how was it when you turned 40? Any changes? Thanks. Not really. I mean, mean, to me, the most devastating birthday to me was 20. I hated the 20th birthday. I I don't know why. I think I've told the story before, but I was really in a funk about... I wasn't a teenager anymore. And I was so cognitive of that. Like I was so aware of I'm not a teenager anymore. And I don't know why that hit me really hard. Every other birthday since then has been perfectly great. Fine. No real major, like, like new re- revelations about life at a certain, No, I never had any of that myself, but, uh, but it was turning 20, but it, regardless of that, Happy, I hope you had this is now a belated birthday, but happy belated birthday to you. Thank you for being around since the AMC days. And thanks for participating in our community, man. I appreciate that. And I hope you have a fabulous year in front of you, my friend. All right. Thanks a lot for that, Phil. Next up, Caleb writes, TV shows you should watch. The Americans. I do want to watch that. I keep hearing nothing but good things about it. Yellowstone, another one. The Kevin Costner one. Everybody says good things about it. Westworld. I have watched it. Not a big fan. I didn't watch season three. I haven't watched season three. I was going to watch season three. Like I saw the trailer for season three. and I thought that looks really good, but I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I actually don't think it's that great. The show. Now, maybe season three would change my mind. And, you know, when season two started, I was like, this is pretty, this is better than season one was. And then it kind of fell off for me. That's just me. Uh, Man in the High Castle, I did watch a bunch of that. Ballers, I did watch Ballers. I enjoyed that. That's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It's also, it was the first real big, significant thing, I think, uh john david washington did who's the star of tenet denzel's son i think ballers was the first thing he was really in Uh, and many more have you actually seen any of these if so thoughts well there you are there are some of my thoughts on that but yeah man i liked ballers it was basically ballers was an attempted entourage ripoff, but they did it pretty good it wasn't as good as entourage but they did it pretty good and uh i enjoyed that show i liked watching it all right next up (laughs) Uh, Aaron Schrader writes, you don't have to respond, uh, but I just learned that Collider cannibalized a well-established YouTube channel, the binger, uh, to get the subs. They're saying it's their main channel, the original channel. The one you started is now Collider extras mad for you. Well, now look, honestly, and, and while I appreciate your desire, uh, to, you know, want to, Get upset by it. Here's the reality. The channel that I established and I created and I developed and I built, that channel in a way kind of died when I left, but really it died last year. Um, They made the decision that was completely within their purview to make to change, pardon me, to change directions. Um, they, they pulled the plug on movie talk and all the other shows that I had created, uh, and decided to go in a new direction. And I, I'm not mad about that. I, I mean, it, it's, it's not my channel anymore. Uh, so I was I was cool for, for that. Now, what I wasn't cool about was certain statements that got made a little bit afterwards. And obviously I, I was very public about that because I believe that somebody who had worked there was taking direct shots. Somebody who was there and was earning a living and a paycheck off of the work that I did and the content that I created. And they came out and said a bunch of disparaging things about that content and about the people that I had hired and brought on and, and, and so forth. And I got very upset about that, but that's a separate issue. That's actually a separate issue. The issue of them going in a different direction and and you know you know now doing things that they feel they need to do to to succeed. Um, I I have I have no issue with that. Look. Um, the channel that died when they pulled the plug on all those shows. The reality is. As I look back, they were all starting to fail, right? They were all starting to fail. Their the viewership had dropped by I think like 90% and all that kind of stuff. I I honestly, look, take this take this how you will. I don't think the channel that I created was going to succeed long-term without me there. I think they could have succeeded doing different things with a a very rich talent pool that they had uh, at that time, many of which of that talent pool was talent that I brought there and that I had hired and that I had recruited. Um, But I think they just continue to try to do the channel as it was Without the person who is the architect of that channel there to run it. And, you know, when I left Collider, I- I've told the story before, when I left Collider, I, I had dinner with, uh, you know, with the owner, uh, you know, after I had already announced I was leaving and I, I gave them a-, a bunch of things. And I said, here's what I think you need to do just as, as my parting gift. Here's what I think you need to do. You need to do A, B, C, D, and E, right? I gave them a list of things that I thought they needed to do to really position themselves for success in a uh, post-John Campio world, success that would even exceed uh, what the success we had had while I was there. And as was their right and their purview... They didn't take any of the advice I gave. Every single one of the points and suggestions I gave them, they immediately dismissed, which is fine. That's their purview. I'm not going to pretend like I haven't been given good advice in my life that I ignored and then later look back and go, so-and-so suggested I do this before and I didn't do it. I mean, it's happened to me. It's happened to you. We've all got it. We've all got it. We've all got points in our lives that we were given good advice and we didn't take it. We've all got it. But I, I gave them what I thought was some really good advice that I think would have positioned them with that really rich talent pool that they had to continue to grow and exceed and, and go beyond where we were already at. But they didn't. And they just started to decline immediately. And it kept declining and kept declining and kept, kept declining. And then eventually what you need, listen, as a business, just in life in general, At some point, if something isn't working, you need to recognize that something's not working and make a change. And that's true of everything in life. You've got to recognize that something's not working. And if you've tried everything and things continue to not work, you need to make a change. That's true with, you know, the type of fertilizer you use on your lawn That's true of the type of software you like to use on your personal computer. That's true of the type of phone you decide to carry in your pocket. And it's true of if you're an online creator. At some point, you need to recognize if something isn't working. And if it's not working, you need to make a change. And, you know, last year, they made a decision to, you know what, it's time for us to end what Collider video was and try to start something completely different and new. And they did. So they killed movie talk and they killed a lot of the John Campia era shows. And I, I wasn't a big fan of how they went about it, but that's, that's another issue altogether, but they simply made decision to do what they needed to do. And now listen, I am not familiar With this particular move i'm not familiar with the binger i'm not familiar with that i am not and this is the first i've heard of this particular move of theirs but listen you know they still have staff that they pay they have people whose jobs rely on the success of that channel and if they're making decisions and moves to try to get them to a place of success what's wrong with that And again, it's not like they just killed the Campia era shows. They did that last year, but they, they did it because they needed to do it. Again, I, I, I don't completely agree with how they went about doing it, but they made decisions that they felt were best for them. Just like you make decisions that are best for you. And I make decisions that I believe are best for me and so on and so forth. So there's nothing wrong with that. Now, listen, I'm not going to sit here and be disingenuous and pretend that um, collider is my favorite word. I'm not going to be disingenuous and pretend that it is, but I also don't wish any ill will. And if they're making some decisions that they think can bring them to success, then God bless. Then I hope they're able to do it. Because like I said, there's there are people there whose jobs rely on it and they're Whatever, and they still got some smart people there. They also have some raging idiots there, but they also they still have some very good, talented, smart people there. Anyway, so I see nothing wrong with it. I, I, I Honestly, uh, Aaron, I, I see nothing wrong with it. Making decisions and making moves that you believe to change things up that you believe will better position yourself or your company for success is not a bad thing. And if that's what this is for them, here's hoping it works out for them. Anyway, thank you for that, and I appreciate you sending that in. All right, next up. Uh, Captain Blue Pants writes, an underwhelming Wonder Woman 84, legendary legal action, the Ray Fisher saga, the Ezra Miller situation, Amber Heard boycott calls, Denis Villeneuve scathing words, HBO Max struggling. How would you suggest Warner Brothers improves their current reputation? Do they need to? Well, I mean... And don't forget all the drama with Johnny Depp too and a lot of other, and the Christopher Nolan, all that kind of stuff. Here's the thing. I have said this for a long time and I believe it is very, very true in the world of movies, particularly if you're a studio. It's the three magic words. Most of you guys know what I'm going to say. Winning cures everything. Winning cures everything. The moment they put out a great movie a lot of people are going to forget about a lot of that other stuff it's it's true and just like losing exaggerates struggles it's it's like you know to use a sports analogy There could have been some negative stuff going on in the locker room in a team for a while. But if they're winning, nobody talks about that. The moment that a team starts losing, then everybody starts talking about the problems in the locker room. and this, Whatever problems are there get accentuated. And listen, Warner Brothers is coming off a bit of a struggle with Wonder Woman 84. Uh, Not a terrible movie, but not a good one, in my opinion. Uh, Not like the first one. I thought the first one was great. And I believe the third one will be great whenever they get around to the third one. But uh, winning cures everything. So what do they need? They need Godzilla versus Kong to be great. If if they put out Godzilla versus Kong, I now in March we'll talk about that a little bit uh, tomorrow on Monday. But if Godzilla versus Kong comes out and is great, you're not going to hear much talking about the problems anymore. If Mortal Kombat comes out and it's great. You're not going to hear people talking about the problems nearly as much anymore. Winning cures everything. I'm not saying that's the way it should be. I'm not saying having some success means that they shouldn't directly and clearly and definitively deal with some of the real issues they're dealing with as a company. I'm not saying that. But the reality is winning cures everything. And that's that's it. Public perception problems. No big deal. Listen, they put out godzilla versus kong mortal Kombat, and sometime in the next you know two to three months next 12 weeks they add 7 million more subscribers to their channel which would still leave them way behind disney plus but they can add like 7 million more subscribers all that kind of stuff guess what it'll totally change the perception of their situation because winning does indeed cure everything so uh, that's, that's what they need to do. And if they don't, I mean, oh my God, if, if Godzilla versus Kong is bad and I'm not saying it will be, I have no reason to believe it will be, but if Godzilla versus Kong is bad and mortal Kombat are bad, then the problems we see now are going to get accentuated and made even more dramatic. That's just the unfortunate way that the world seems to work you know, there it is. All right. Thanks for that. All right. Sam Fisher writes, I really enjoyed these first two episodes. I'm assuming you're talking about WandaVision. Uh... I really enjoyed these first two episodes, but I'm not a big fan of sitcoms. I get embarrassed for the characters. I think I might go and watch I Dream of Jeannie after watching episode two, see if it accurately portrays what that show was like. Hope it's not a spoiler. Uh, There is a clear difference between the two Wanda's and Visions reflecting the difference between women in Dick Van Dyke's show and Jeannie in episode one. All her lines had to do with her marriage, whereas in episode two, She did stuff outside of the marriage, but was still a housewife. Uh, Vision, on the other hand, was a little bit of a buffoon in episode two uh, when compared to episode one. The mix-up in episode one almost seems to be Wanda's fault for assuming anniversary, but Viz saves it. But in episode two, it really is an accident or at least uh, no no one's direct fault. Yeah, listen, I, I think everything you just said to me is part of the charm of it. Now, again, I am not the biggest, biggest fan of WandaVision, all right? I don't think it's the greatest thing we've seen um, in the MCU of all time, right? Let me see if I can just bring this up here. I, I I don't think that at all. I don't think that at all. But I think it is very charming. And I one of the big things that makes it so charming is the fact that that play if you will on those those eras and the way they kind of reflect it's a love letter and also it kind of makes a little bit of fun of those eras of shows right like with like in episode one when Catherine hahn says i found this great article about how to keep your husband like really what kind of ridiculous like the only thing a woman is good for is to get a husband and try to keep him right but they so they would make fun of those things or like the toaster commercial. It's your husband get frustrated about you burning his toast. Like women are just portrayed as servants of men and all that. Like, but they they made fun of that. But they also captured a lot of the tropes of the era. And I think that's one of the pieces of charm that a lot of people are really attracted to. Uh, and the underlying thing. So yeah, I I agree with what you're saying. I just think for me personally, I think that's part of the thing that adds to the charm of it. Now, what's going to be really important is are they able now to pivot? You know, we still have some more um we have more eras to go through. We've got the, you know, 70s era and the 80s era and the night, you know, we got different eras still to go through, but they need to start pivoting more to the mystery of it. They need now to start pivoting from heavily focused on being an homage to that era of sitcom to being an homage to the era of the sitcom, but we're focusing more and more on the what's wrong in this world stuff the the more behind, you know, what's behind the curtain stuff. They need to pivot now to that. Will they do that moving forward? Now, I've already seen episode three, so I'm not going to spoil anything, but will they pivot to that? That's going to be the key. But so far, I think it's pretty charming. I think it's pretty charming so far. All right, next up. Uh, Sam Fisher also writes, Fun fact, I saw Elizabeth Olsen star as Juliet in Romeo and Juliet in an off-Broadway production in New York City sometime in September to November 2013, when she had already been cast, but before Ultron came out. uh, Didn't make the connection until after I saw Ultron. Still think about it sometimes. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because somebody mentioned to me the other day saying well like i I think maybe elizabeth olsen got became a bit of a better actress after the first ultron and it's like you don't understand elizabeth olsen has been she's an academy award nominated actress before the mcu and she's done broadway and she is uniquely talented she is a fabulous actress now in that age of ultron they were really just figuring the character out. You know, I, I don't think they had really firmly decided what is this character, which is part of the reason why I think we hear heavy accent in age of Ultron. But as we progress, that accent is pretty much just now disappeared. Um, so I, it wasn't about that, but she is a phenomenal ta- talent, a phenomenal actress. But before the MCU, like you're pointing out here, Sam Broadway, before the MCU, she had Academy Award nomination to her name, and she's going to probably have more in her future. Whether she wins one ever is a very difficult thing, but I think she'll have more nominations moving forward. So uh, anyway, I'm glad you pointed out, and that's quite an experience, man, to be able to look back and realize, yeah, I saw her before. She was a huge, huge deal. That's pretty cool. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Sam writes over under 10% that Aaron Taylor Johnson shows up in the 80s or 90s sitcom episode of WandaVision as Wanda's freeloading brother. All right. That's a great question. On the one hand, no, I don't think they're going to bring Aaron Taylor Johnson back. But since this is mostly all fantasy, the idea of her incorporating a vision, no pun intended, a vision of her deceased brother who meant more to her than anything else in the world, that she would manifest that brother in this vision, in this reality she's in right now. That's not far-fetched. Now I still don't think it's likely, but you're setting the line at 10%, very, very low. So I got to take the over on that. I'll take the over on that action all day. Again, I don't think it's likely. I won't take over 50%. But I think the chances, understanding the context of this show, I think the chances of that happening are well above 10%. So I I will take the over. Now, if you'd set the line at like 35%, then I'd struggle. But at 10%, to me, that's an easy call. I'll take the over on that. All right, thanks for that, man. Next up, uh, Quintus Deshin writes, one to four. One of four. Happy Friday, John Campia crew. Well, this obviously came out on Friday after the show was done. Um, happy Friday, show, uh, Campia show crew. John, my man, you took a question of mine a while back pertaining to Diana in armor and Eternals Thena. Uh, you misunderstood. I was It wasn't a question of comparing uh, the two... After seeing the glimpse of Wonder Woman kick ass in the armor, I couldn't help but to get excited about seeing Jolie kick ass in golden armor as well. Not saying they're identical. I only brought in the armor and warrior traits because I simply love seeing warrior women kicking ass on screen. Also, my wording could have been confusing, so I'll ask what I meant in a different way. Knowing Jolie's action heroine track record, are you excited to see what she brings to her character and the Eternals, Eternals as a whole? Thanks again. Uh, much love. I listen to the show nightly at work and watch live when I'm off. P.S. I wanted to send in one whole $20 tip. However, my thesis statement of question didn't allow that. No problem. Um, okay, so the, the basic question of Am I looking forward to seeing Angelina Jolie in Eternals? Of course. Of course. Absolutely I am. But I'll tell you this. I'm not looking forward to her being in it because of her... um, Because of her uh, history in action films. And she does have a good history. There's Salt. uh, Wanted. I... I, a lot of people crap on wanted that she did with James McAvoy and, um, uh, uh, James McAvoy McAvoy, James McAvoy. Um, uh, who, Oh, why am I, um, Morgan Freeman? I don't know why I was freezing on Morgan Freeman's name. Uh, common. And uh, I'm trying to remember who played his dad, James McAvoy's dad. Anyway, whatever. I love that movie. I think it's fun. Oh, and by the way, Chris Pratt was in that movie. Chris Pratt before he was famous. Chris Pratt before he was Chris Pratt uh, was in that as well. Anyway, as uh, James McAvoy's buddy at work, the one who's cheating with James McAvoy's girlfriend. Anyway. Anyway whatever. I'm looking forward. So yes, she's been in some action things and the director and stunt choreographers that have worked with her. Yes. have been able to make it look great. I am excited about her being in this movie because Angelina Jolie is an Academy award-winning actress. That's why I'm excited. And I believe she's got multiple nominations. Let me bring this up here just quick. Yeah. She's got uh, she's got two nominations. Well, okay. So she got a humanitarian award. We, that's not regarding acting, but she was nominated for uh changeling, which I also believe was a Clint Eastwood movie, if I'm not mistaken anyway. And of course she won her Academy award for girl interrupted. And she is the daughter of the previous mentioned John Voight. So there's that, but she is simply like, she's a list actress stuff. I'm sure they'll make her action look great. I have no doubt they'll make her action look great. Uh, Of that, I have very little doubt. But what's going to make her action great is the fact that she is a tremendous actress. That's what's going to make the movie better. You know, the movie's not going to be better because she can do action better than another actress they could have had doing action. She's going to make the movie better because her action acting is going to be better than a lot of other actresses they could have brought in for the role. Angelina Jolie is an actress who elevates the material she's in. And you can't say that about every actor or performer in comic book movies these days, but there are some you can, and now she's one of them. So yes, I am absolutely 1000%. My friend Quintus absolutely looking forward to seeing her in this movie Because she is just that caliber, that level of an actress. Anyway, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And thanks for listening to the podcast, dude. I appreciate that. All right, next up. Sergeant Ward writes, Do you think when HBO Max will inevitably... Sorry. Do you think when HBO Max will inevitably goes international, and hopefully a retitle, their numbers will start to catch up to Disney Plus? Also, why would releasing their slate on their... Sergeant, you need to work on your wording. <laughs> Sometimes it's difficult to read your message. Okay. Also, why would releasing their slate on their would boot subscribers when they're only... I'm not quite sure what it is you're asking. Anyway, when they go worldwide, will that boost their overall numbers? Absolutely, it will. The problem, of course, is that... <clears throat> even when you just compare domestic numbers to other like Netflix's US numbers or Disney Plus's US-based numbers they trail desperately far behind um and they have a long way to go and i don't know that their content has nearly as much international appeal as say Netflix's or Disney Plus's does now you could make an argument that you know Maybe once this content becomes available internationally, you'll find that it does have a wider appeal. That's possible. We'll keep our eye on that. So I'm not saying that's definitive. My sense is that their content won't have as much of an international appeal as a lot of other, uh, their competitions does. So I'm not sure, but that is something they need to get to. Now, before, you know, somebody wrote in and says, I can't believe HBO max launched without being international. Well, guess what? Every major streaming service launches without being in every market. They're see, like even Disney Plus took a long Disney Plus still isn't in every market. It took them a long time too. So you can't bash on HBO Max because everybody thinks, oh, it's just simple. You just say, here, be in Bulgaria, and it's in Bulgaria. No, no. There is a huge, massive, complex web of legal issues and licenses and territorial rights and all this type of stuff that has to be navigated and term leases and all this kind of stuff that has to just be, you know, you have to just get through and do before you can launch in in particular international markets. And it's not easy and it's not quick. So you got to cut HBO Max some slack here when it comes to that. They'll get to it. They will get to it in one way or the other. It may take a little longer. Some territories may take may go a little bit quicker. But it'll come, and you will see them improve overall for sure. Like when you add a new territory, that's going to add to your overall numbers for sure. But will it significantly? Don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I certainly hope they do. Because listen, to, to my, for my money right now, HBO Max is still the, in terms of quality programming, quality, premier, original programming. To me, the king of the hill is still HBO. I still don't think anybody does it as well as they do. Now, ask me that again a year from now, once a whole ton of MCU and new Star Wars stuff comes out on Disney and FX starts putting out, you know, uh, Shogun and their Alien series and whatever, maybe that changes. But I'm just saying today, right now, when it comes to not quantity, but pure quality of their original premiere programming, I will. T- if I can only pick one service to watch, I would take HBO and HBO Max. That's just me. That's just me. But uh, I think you'll see them turn things. I, I still believe in HBO Max. You'll see it turn around. You can't put out the kind of quality that they put out and not eventually turn things around. So I, I believe they will turn things around. Why? Because they put out great quality. They put out great quality content. Wonder Woman eighty four, notwithstanding. All right, that's that. Next up, Alan writes, "Hey John, with the release of E.T. article about more uh, the entertainment. Entertainment tonight. I think you mean Entertainment Weekly. I think it was Entertainment Weekly that had that thing about Mortal Kombat. I think. Anyway, I could be wrong. You might be right about that, Alan. Um, do you think a trailer is imminent? And do you think we will actually see some of the fatalities? Uh, hashtag Henry Dinklage." Um. <sighs> Normally, what happens now, you guys might remember the other day. Let me see if I can bring it up here. Uh, Mortal Kombat images. Okay, so the other day, um, Mortal Kombat, the new Mortal Kombat movie that's coming, they put out, I think it was Entertainment Weekly that put them out. I could be wrong about that, or maybe it was Entertainment. Is that I can't remember if that's Entertainment Weekly's logo or Entertainment. Tonight's logo. I'm gonna say it's entertainment weekly's. I think yes, it is entertainment weekly. Yes. Not entertainment tonight, it's entertainment weekly. They put out a bunch of images of the new thing. I I, I didn't get tremendously excited about it. they're still images. It doesn't tell me anything about the feel of the movie or anything like that. They're just okay. The movie's real. There are the images right there. Sorry, that way. There, there they are. You can see them right there. That's great. I don't get tremendously excited about still images. But what we said at the time was, not always, but what normally happens, at least more times than not, when there's a significant movie coming and you're waiting for the PR, the publicity to really start kicking in, when a poster drops or some new and our first look at set images drops, that is normally, not always, not always but that is normally an indicator that we are uh, any moment now we're about to get a trailer. Quite often we see poster drops on Tuesday, trailer drops on Wednesday. First image drops on Monday, trailer drops on Tuesday. I mean, we've just that's kind of a a regular thing. Again, not every time, there are certainly exceptions to that, but I'd say about a good 70% of the time Traditionally, when a poster drops, boom, next day trailer. I believe I have no insider information on this. Just to be clear, none. I believe we are going to get a trailer this week. I can't back that up. Again, zero insider information on that. But since they just released these a couple of days ago, I believe. I mean, I thought honestly at first, I thought within forty-eight hours we're gonna get we're gonna get trailer within forty-eight hours. Well, then the weekend hit, nothing over the weekend, and here we are 72 hours later. But I I still believe we're going to get a trailer this week. But again, don't quote me on that, because I've got no sources telling me that. That's just my speculation. But I'm speculating. I'm guessing we're going to get that trailer uh, sometime this week. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Alan. Appreciate that. Okay, next up. We got Adam Martinez, who writes, "Uh, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, Adam. I recently read that Ben Affleck called Kevin Feige one of the best producers in Hollywood. Yes, he did. I was curious, where does Kevin Feige rank among producers working in Hollywood today for you? It's, it's, It's hard to define that. If you just want to look at bottom line results, he's one of the greatest of all time. If you just want to look at bottom line results. I mean, what did he do? He created with a lot of help, but he's the guy at the helm. He's the shepherd of it. this cinematic universe that has become the most powerful box office force there has ever been. I mean one can I mean it's this still rubs people the wrong way it's true. the new Star Wars movies m- make more money per film on average than the MCU does. it's true go go look it up go do the math it is but really for all intents and purposes. The MCU is the most dominant in any one era, the most dominant box office presence of of all time. And they're basically averaging a billion dollars a film. That's insanity. It's insanity. Now, are these all Academy Award level winning films? No. Some maybe, but not all. No, but I mean, just the impact that Kevin Feige has made through sheer force of will is undeniable. Is undeniable. And yeah, we're going to be talking about this uh, on the John Campion show probably tomorrow. Ben Affleck, of course, forever my Batman. Uh, ben Affleck came out and just said he's the greatest. You know, he just was talking about Kevin Feige, that he is the absolute greatest. And uh, we're going to talk about that, what that means, what that does not mean, and all that kind of stuff later. But yeah, I thought it was really, but Kevin Feige, listen at some point he is going to be given an honorary Oscar. I mean, he may win an Oscar for bet. Like if a movie of, if an MCU movie someday wins best picture, if an MCU movie someday deserves best picture and he wins, he's going to get an Oscar. But if that doesn't happen at some point down the road, Hollywood is going to be giving Kevin Feige an honorary Oscar. For achievement for a lifetime achievement and it's hard to argue against that he absolutely did and kevin feige we trust adam martinez all right thanks for sharing that man next up craig stratton writes one thing that does concern me going forward uh, in the mcu is how will these new shows on disney plus affect the movies will movie fans be expected to watch the tv show in order to understand what's going on in the movies that is a completely fair question to ask craig I will, and the only thing I can't, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't look into the future. What I will say is let's look at what the MCU has done. Okay. Let's look at what the MCU has done. I sat down and, and I sat down with a friend who had maybe seen one or two other MCU films, maybe seen one or two other MCU films. And they watched Infinity War and Endgame, and they never one second felt like they were lost. I know somebody who watched, I went to the theater, a YouTube personality you may actually know. I went to the theater uh, with a young woman who had never seen an MCU film. And was going in, I I had, you know, and couldn't go. So I was going to go see this screening of Civil War and brought this person with me, had never seen any other MCU film yet up until that point. Never for a second felt lost watching Civil War. Now, are you going to be able to appreciate all the nuance and all the references in some of the MCU movies if you hadn't seen a number of the previous ones? Obviously, you won't. You won't pick up on all of them. But, will you as a film fan be able to sit down can you as a film fan sit down in front of Thor or Thor Ragnarok or Captain America: Civil war. can you sit down and watch one of these movies and appreciate them as self-contained movies even if you do miss out on some of the nuance and some of the references, can you still enjoy it as a full, complete movie? Or will you be completely lost and you can't appreciate the movie because without seeing all those other films, you'll just never get it? The answer to that question is no. That, and therein lies, I would argue this, therein lies the most brilliant thing and the biggest key to success of Kevin Feige's mcu and it's not what any of the fanboys like me would point to it's something far far more important is that basic premise that while the mcu is all interconnected and while they definitely build on each other here and there and, and to create this overall um collage the reality is he makes each movie in such a way that if somebody is coming along to the movie theater who has never seen one of the other MCU movies and they're sitting down for their first MCU movie, they are not going to feel lost. They're going to come in and be able to totally get their movie. And this is key. Kevin Feige specifically makes sure that his directors make these movies in such a way that anybody can enjoy them, even if it's the first time they're watching an MCU film. And because of that... The MCU popularity has just grown and grown and grown and grown. If he had made the seventh MCU film in such a way that you would never understand it if you didn't watch movies one through six, guess what? Their fan base isn't going to grow. People are going to watch one of the MCU movies and go, I have no idea what's going on. I'm completely lost. Eh, whatever. I yeah, I tried the MCU once. wasn't for me. Blah, 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 blah. The single most brilliant thing that has contributed and maybe the most important thing that has contributed to the dominant run of the MCU. First and foremost, making great, exciting, thrilling movies that the audience enjoys. Yes. But beyond that, beyond that obvious one is the fact that Kevin Feige, in partnership with his handpicked directors, makes sure that every movie is a viable standalone movie in many ways. That a new audience member can just come in and sit and watch. You may have never seen another MC movie in your life. You can come in, sit down, watch Black Panther, and you'll totally get it. You'll completely get it. You can come in and watch Spider-Man Homecoming, and you'll totally get it. You'll completely get it. You can come in and watch Ant-Man. You won't feel lost at all. You can even watch Ant-Man 2. They will make sure they structure Ant-Man 2 in such a way that you're not going to feel lost. You'll miss out on some of the nuance and some of the references, and yes, you won't get the full, deepest experience, but as an overall movie, it will be a perfectly self-contained movie for you. And that is the most brilliant thing that he's done. So, in asking the question, moving forward, will the shows and the movies be done in such a way that, huh, you're not going to get this movie unless you watch these five Disney Plus shows? I have no crystal ball, can't look into the future. All we can do is, how has Kevin Feige handled this situation? Well, he traditionally, the way Kevin Feige has done it up until now, has been to, yes, make these movies interconnect, yes, have the stories build on top of each other, but at the same time, do them in such a way that somebody can watch them independently and still enjoy them as a movie without feeling lost. And I believe, I don't know this for a fact, But I believe that is what Kevin Feige will continue to do moving forward. That's just my guess. We'll have to wait and see, Craig. All right, next up. We got uh, The Shadesman writes. Hey, John. On Thursday's episode, somebody brought up the Disney movie Dinosaur. And when I think of that movie, it makes me think of the dark ride at Disney's Animal Kingdom at Disney World. It's similar to the Indiana Jones rise. It's absolutely terrifying. I... Well, no, no, no. I almost said I've never been to Disney World. I have been to Disney World once. It was during Star Wars Celebration when it was held in uh, in Florida. But I I never saw that ride. I never really went into Disneyland much. I was just kind of around the outskirts of Disneyland, hanging out with a bunch of people at the bars and restaurants and stuff. But I never really, so I've never really gone into Disney World, not into the park. So I have I can't I can't say anything to that. So I didn't even know that that ride existed. All I do know is that my wife and I have had had been annual membership holders at Disneyland for like five years. And apparently now they don't, they're not going to allow annual passes anymore. I don't know what the hell that's about. But, and my single favorite feature, well, probably is now Rise of the Resistance. The Rise of the Resistance, uh, uh ride i guess you could say is the best thing they've got there but for the longest time and overall my favorite favorite i never fail to do it every time we go to disneyland we go and do the indiana jones ride the indiana jones ride's amazing and they've updated it and it's still my favorite one nothing rise of the resistance and indiana jones really make you feel immersed in the movies you know what i mean they're great so if I ever get out to Disney World in Orlando, I will have to give that one a chance. Thanks a lot for that, Shadesman. All right, next one up. The Wakanda Forever writes. I thought WandaVision was great. I was in the sec I was in the second they showed the Marvel logo. I know this is an unpopular opinion, but I got Brightburn vibes. Really? Uh, which to me is a good thing. I love that film. You never knew uh what was next. Keep uh keep you on your toes. Great. Really? That's I don't see that. I mean, someday you're gonna have to write in and explain what similarities you saw between Brightburn and Division. I, and by the way, I did not like Brightburn. I, I thought Brightburn was quite poor, despite the fact that James Gunn's the producer of it and I love him and um, uh, Elizabeth is in there and she's fantastic. I love her in just about everything, but I didn't like Brightburn. But but you forget that. Forget the fact that I didn't like Brightburn. I'm trying to think of what possible similarities there were between One Division and Brightburn. Anyway, hit hit me up again sometime, or even just email me and tell me what you thought those were. John at the But I, I can't think of them off the top of my head. This is a really interesting comparison. All right, next up. Aaron E writes. Hey, John, I love the I love how you mentioned that you had. Uh, to have your wife watch Star Wars while you said that I am four months into into mine. and I told my girl, we have to watch all of Star Wars. Unfortunately, we have gone in episode order. We are finally up to a new hope. Well, listen, hey, listen, that can work, right? I mean, look, whenever anybody asks me, Aaron, in what order should you watch the Star Wars movies? I always say you start with the trilogy and then you can skip the prequels And you can go right to The Force Awakens, Rogue One, uh, Solo, um, Last Jedi, and unfortunately, you got to do Rise of Skywalker too. But uh, the reality is that that's what I would recommend. There are a lot of people who really love the prequels. God bless them. And that's great. If you like the prequels, you like the prequels. I want everybody to enjoy every movie they, they watch, even if it's a movie I can't stand. So that's awesome. Uh, But hey, if you start, who knows? Maybe your girl will be one of those that actually likes the prequels. Hard for me to imagine, but hey, there are people out there who do, and that's not a bad thing. So go for it. I mean, yes, I would have, if you had asked me in advance, I would have said, just start with A New Hope, start with the greatest films of all time, start strong. But hey, you went that way, and it can still work. It can totally still work. All right, thanks for writing that in, Aaron. Next up, uh, Light writes in, Hey, John, hope you're doing well. I am doing well, thank you. My question is, do you think Disney will stay true to Moon Knight's mental health problems? Uh, It's a very important part of his character and story, in my opinion, and I really hope they do. I'm not sure. You know what's funny? Me and Robert Meyer Burnett had a conversation about that, Uh, and if I remember properly, I... I, I think Rob, I look, he may totally correct me on this later. I think Rob said he would like to see that too, but he doesn't think it's essential. Now I could be, again, I could be wrong on that. So I don't know. I'm always interested when a new character that's never been done before on the screen is coming, which elements do they keep and which do they not? And it's important to remember the comic book character is the comic book character. The movie is the movie all I ever ask is that you capture the one or two, maybe key things that are absolutely core and essential to the DNA of who that character is. And you could make an argument. The mental issues are one of those things. And Rob's, I mean, Rob's a much, much more well-versed on moon Knight than I am. Obviously it's one of his, it's the one thing he has been asking for and calling for forever, but my guess is they will make it a part of that because doing something like that, you have to have, you're going to need to have a, um, you're going to need to have an absolutely incredible actor to play it. Right. There are a lot of comic book characters and whatever that you don't necessarily, uh, need to have, a tremendous actor like you you want to have a good solid talented actor for a lot of them yes but you don't necessarily need like a world-class actor to play it if you're gonna play certain elements of Moon Knight particularly the mental health stuff you're gonna need somebody who can actually kill those scenes like just kill it right well who do they go out and get to play Moon Knight they went out and got a world-class actor, an Oscar Isaac. Now, does that guarantee they're going to be playing those aspects? No, doesn't guarantee it. But, yeah, my guess is I suspect they will. I suspect that is what they will do. So we'll find out. We'll find out soon enough. Again, I got to talk to Rob about that and get his his impression on that again because I, I I think I remember what he said, but I can't totally remember. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Ro- Like, Next up, Casey McNatt writes, Hey, John, they just released a trailer for Willie's Wonderland, and it looks like good cheesy fun with Nicolas Cage facing off with evil animatronics. I have not seen it yet. Uh, it will be released on February 12th. Have you seen the trailer? And what do you think of the trailer? And what do you I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. So, uh, yeah, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pause the recording for a second. And I'm going to check it out right now. OK, just watch the trailer for Willie's Wonderland. Oh my God, that is a complete, absolute Five Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff. That is a complete Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff. Um, and they even rip, directly ripped off the uh, Watchmen line of, You don't get it. I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me. They completely ripped that line off in this thing. They completely ripped it off. This, this whole thing is a complete ripoff. But I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I'm going to watch it. Whatever it looked like, stupid, big fun. I'm gonna watch it. I, I'm gonna watch this, but make no mistake—that was a shit. That is—that is an absolute shameless rip off of Five Nights at Freddy's. Come on! But I'm gonna watch it because it does look like kind of stupid fun. So, uh, yeah, there's that. Okay, <laughs> uh, let's keep things going. Next we've got—that uh, was Casey. Next up we've got Will Lore who writes. Your thoughts about what makes a trilogy versus a series of three films. For instance, I struggle to equate the Captain America films with the Dark Knight trilogy as the latter is a complete story, while the former doesn't fully resolve Cap's arc without other films. Um, It's semantics. It really is. There is no one true definition. It's, it's, It's kind of like, to me, when somebody wants to have a debate about what's a spoiler. There's no one standard answer to that, right? When you ask somebody what is a spoiler, somebody like me will say to you, a spoiler is a piece of information given that completely fundamentally alters your perception of parts of the movie as intended by the director. But that's that's big, big stuff. But then somebody else will say, if you tell me that Robert De Niro and Al Pacino have dinner together at one scene, that's a spoiler. Okay, so this one scene where there's a car chase in the movie. That's a spoiler. I didn't want to know there was a car chase. I mean, so it, it it's completely whatever to me uh, the captain look a lot of times films can just be called look uh, Edgar Wright's the Cornetto trilogy right what do any of those movies have in common really nothing but they call it the Cornetto tr- trilogy uh, Shaun of the Dead Hot Fuzz uh World's End and that's they just call that the Cornetto trilogy and even though there's nothing there's nothing associated there, but they call it a trilogy. Okay, that's that's fine. Call it a trilogy. The Captain America thing to me is absolutely a trilogy. It is a trilogy of films that you can watch independently because like we were talking about a little bit earlier, the brilliance of Kevin Feige is that he makes all of his movies in such a way. So you can watch the three Captain America movies without watching the movies that happen in between and you'll catch up very, very quick. It'll It'll give you all the information you need, the essential information you need to have. And it works. The Christopher Nolan films are absolutely a trilogy. But then, then again, then some people say, well, the Indiana Jones trilogy isn't a trilogy because they did a fourth film. Some people seriously are really sticklers on the semantics of it, that if because they did a fourth film, there is no Indiana Jones trilogy. There is now only the first three Indiana Jones movies. It's not a trilogy anymore because they made a fourth. And listen, I'm not poo-pooing on that interpretation. It is an open interpretation. For me personally, it was a set of three films. Trilogy is very, very much a loose phrasing because you can call The Hobbit a trilogy because they did three, but I mean, it was all based on one book that they just you know, arbitrarily chopped up into three movies. Should you call that a trilogy? The story of one short book, by the way, when you compare them to the Lord of the Rings books, The Hobbit is a short book, but they arbitrarily chopped it up into three movies, even though it's just one story, but we call it a trilogy. That's okay. I guess, you know, the Godfather trilogy again. So for me personally, yes, I do consider, um, you know, a set of three films very loosely defined as a trilogy. I just don't believe there is or should be any, you know, really strong because just like the Hobbit was arbitrarily kind of chopped up. We just arbitrarily call things a trilogy. There's no deep meaning to it. Like some are more proper to the spirit of a trilogy than the others. But really, at the end of the day, it's just a word. Trilogy is just a word that we attach to certain sets of films. Uh, but yeah, for me, the Captain America trilogy, the Hangover trilogy trilogy. The Indiana Jones Trilogy. Yes, I know there's a fourth. Don't care. The Indiana Jones Trilogy. The Star Wars Trilogy. Yes, I know there are other films, but the Star Wars Trilogy. So me personally, that's how I do it. But I would never correct anybody else who looks at it differently. Because I just don't think it's important. I, I just, at the end of the day, I don't think it's an important discussion. So like if you view it differently i won't correct i'm not going to try to correct you i'm not even going to try to debate you i'll just say okay cool you see it that way cool i see it differently but it's not important enough for us to argue about you know what i mean so that's that's my kind of take on interesting question Will. thanks for throwing that in there all right next up we've got mike thompson who writes green arrow and the canaries is officially dead at the cw yes it is not terribly surprising but the arrow show itself uh and the main cast deserved a better send-off uh than to have its entire final season just be a promo for the series that's never going to happen yeah listen i i was the biggest uh green arrow i called myself a green arrow evangelist and for good reason I, I love Green Arrow season one and season two. I was a psychotic Green Arrow fan. Okay. I, I just, I love this show. I would talk about it all the time. I thought at first it looked like really dumb and stupid. I thought it looked like really, really ridiculous. And then I started watching it and I was like, oh my God, I love this damn show. This show to me is absolutely amazing. And what happened was Ann and I started doing, for those of you, some of you have heard this story, but for those of you who haven't, Ann and I started doing a, uh, uh, an Arrow after show because we loved it so much. And I was rooting for it because Stephen Amel's a good Canadian kid and I really liked him in the show. And so we just started talking about Arrow after show. It wasn't the most popular show in the world. Didn't have all the viewers. Didn't matter. Ann and I love that show so much. We just wanted to talk about it every week. So one day, um, so Ann and I are doing this after show and some people start writing in saying, somebody tell John that Stephen Amell is trying to get a hold of him. And I'm I'm like, some people are writing this in. This is why we're doing the show live. And they're like, John, go and check your Twitter. And so I went and checked and Stephen Amell had been tweeting out, somebody tell John Campia I'm trying to i'm trying to dm him but he doesn't follow me on twitter somebody so a long story short he connects with me he comes on our show we do it live and then when we started actually doing the show in a studio uh we actually started doing the app show in the studio um he decided to come on in and and be on our show and he came so that's me and and our friend Kaori. so he came in on our show And there's a a bunch of pictures from that. There's there's a picture of Anne and uh, Steve. Uh, Steve actually, on Anne's birthday, he was on set of a movie, stopped or on set of Arrow, stopped. And when he had a break, he went to his trailer, still in his Arrow makeup, and sent a video message to Anne on her birthday. He didn't have to do it. It was a totally one of the classiest things. What else would I expect from a good Canadian kid? Uh, But he did that. That was us doing our Arrow after show. Uh, and everybody had been drinking a little bit. I don't know if you can tell that from the pictures, but we had all been kind of drinking a little bit and, uh, it was just, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Anyway, that's all just set up for saying I was a huge fan of that show. Halfway through season three for me, it just went off the rails and it, it was not Stephen Amell's fault. I mean, to me, it was the writers. Stephen Amell was, to me, Stephen Amell just got better and better and better as the show went along. But for me, the writers really started to lose it. And it all started with Captain Buckles. It's like, okay, so Laurel has literally, I'm not joking around, I'm not exaggerating. Laurel has taken a couple of night boxing classes at a local, literally taken just a couple of night boxing classes at the local gym. So she bought a leather outfit with an unspeakable, irrational number of buckles on it. I'm not kidding. Go back and look at the pictures. And suddenly now she's a superhero. I'm Okay, you lost me. You just totally lost me. Every superhero thing has a certain degree of suspended disbelief that you have to have. But I do expect a show to maintain its own internal logic. And it's like, okay, so she has literally gone to the community center and taken some night self-defense courses for a very short period of time. And now she's a superhero. And I remember it just lost me. Now, I didn't stay abandoned to the show for terribly long. I, I then was like, oh, I just can't help it. Like, I, I just had such a love for the first, like, two and a half seasons. I went back. And from then on out, um, Arrow had some really good stuff and some not so great stuff. Some really good stuff, some not so great stuff. And never, it was never able to recapture that absolute, complete brilliance of of like the first two and a half seasons, but it had its its positive moments and it had some negative moments. The final season was not a great send off. but here's the thing. I wouldn't hold anybody at CW or the Arrowverse too much to account for that because as we've talked on this show before, every show is extremely, it's hard to stick the landing. Some of the greatest shows of all time have had a very, very difficult time sticking the landing. I mean, just look at what a lot of people consider to be the greatest sitcom of all time, Seinfeld. I mean, for me, it's probably The Office, things like that. But a lot of people consider Seinfeld to be like the greatest sitcom of all time. Guess what? One of the absolute worst series finales in history. One of the absolute worst series finales in history. But a lot of great shows are like that. A lot of great shows have a very hard time sticking the ending. Whether it's the last season or the last episode or two, it's tough to stick the landing. With the Arrowverse being the Arrowverse, the powers that be decided to also make the final season of Arrow about continuing a new show within the Arrowverse. That was appropriate. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And you know what? We wouldn't be complaining about it mike if it had been a really good season if they had made the final season about the ending of arrow but also introducing the world to this next show that's going to come if the season was great none of us would think it's a problem winning cures everything the problem is it wasn't a great season and i never did like um i never did like Oliver's idiot kids, as I started to to them as. That entire I, I just never liked his kids, the characters. Nothing against the performers who played the characters, not at all. But I just the way they're written, I I did not like Oliver's Idiot Kids. And I thought whenever Oliver's idiot kids were in the show, it took away from it. But again, it's not because they had them in the show. If they had written them great, if they had written a great story around them, if they had made a better show in the final season. I wouldn't have had a problem with Oliver's kids. I wouldn't have then called them Oliver's idiot kids. It would have been, man, that season was great. And they had these two kids that were Oliver's kids and it worked wonderful, right? Winning cures everything. It is unfortunate though, that it did end badly. And I, I am not either surprised or heartbroken in the least that, um, uh, Green Arrow and the Canaries got canned. I am not heartbroken about that in the least. I I didn't like what they were setting up in the final season of Arrow. So I was not looking forward to that at all. I probably wouldn't have watched it at at all. Unless, you know, it's the season started, then a bunch of you told me it was awesome. Then maybe I would have checked it out. But yeah, no heartbreak and no surprise for me on that one, Mike. Not all. all right. Thanks for writing that in, man. Okay, next up. An anonymous viewer writes in and tips in like 20 bucks. Thank you for that anonymous viewer. I appreciate that very much. Um, hi, John. With other films being delayed, do you think Marvel can push, uh, can push back Black Widow again uh, with all the Disney Plus show dates being confirmed already? Uh, is it most likely they will then put it on Disney Plus Premium rather than change all the other dates? You know what? Here's the thing. Right now, I'm guessing. Like, my guess is if they wanted to put, if they had any interest of putting black widow on a day and date premium access on Disney plus the perfect, easy opportunity to that was at the Disney uh, investors call announcements that they did a few weeks ago when they announced all the MCU projects and all the new star Wars projects. That was the time if they had any, any interest of doing that that was the perfect time to do it i had even heard that that that's what they were going to do and they didn't so that was the time to do it to me that kind of suggests that they don't intend to put this thing as a premium release they had the opportunity to do it they had to move the date twice then they had this big investors call they easily could have announced this is a perfect time for us to announce we're putting this thing on here And they didn't. They had a golden, easy opportunity. Again, that seems to imply to me that they have no interest of releasing this thing on Disney Plus. They want to put this thing in theaters. However, how many times can you push it? I mean, really, how many times can you push? Only so many times. At some point, you got to look at just putting it out, even if that means on Disney Plus. So I'll put it this way: for me, I would put five bucks, not twenty but I would put five bucks on. They are going to keep it theatrical. What, whatever they need to do, even if they need to bump it again by a couple of months, they are going to keep it theatrical. And if you know, Captain America, like if, if the, some show has to come out after black widow, they may bump that one or two shows, but I believe they're going to keep it theatrical. Now, that being said, that's if they say, when is it supposed to come out? May, Uh, hold a second. Black Widow. I think it's uh, I think it's May that it's supposed to come out. Yeah, May 7th, 2021. May right now looks unlikely to me. May looks unlikely. I I think, at the earliest, earliest, earliest is mid to late May. I think beginning of May is still too early, even, even my most optimistic is middle to late May. I think really a more realistic view is June or July. If the new administration does what they say they're going to do, if they're able to do it, and that's a big if, of 100 million vaccinations within the first 100 days, if we can have over 100 million people in the United States vaccinated against the virus come May, then June and July seems seems fairly reasonable that they could put it out. And I would say this, if all they have to do is bump black widow one or two months, if, if all they have to do is bump it one or two months, then I become very convinced they will keep it in that date. If we get into March and the late March, early April, and they're like, no way they're going to have a hundred million vaccinations at best. We'll have like 30 million vaccinations by the, by in the first hundred days. Well, now you're looking at having to bump Black Widow by more than one or two months. Then you have to look at bumping it four or five or six more months. At that point, it becomes more realistic to me that they go, um, that then the, maybe they consider going to Disney+. Plus. And again, I have no insider information on this. This is just me speculating, but uh, I just think that if they were ready for it to go on Disney premium release, they would have just announced that at the Disney uh investors day they just would have announced it then and i think it is likely it will get bumped again but i think it'll only be bumped by like 30 45 60 days and they'll work around that and then fine but if it has to go much more beyond that i mean again there's no just one clean simple answer here i think it's very complicated but my basic guess is they're still not intending to put it on disney plus until after theatrical run they want it to be a theatrical run but i do believe they'll have to bump that may 7th date and maybe move it to june or july and if they do i think they'll just keep it there and move whatever disney plus shows that they need to if however they have to bump it four five or six months then i think they just need to put it out and take the loss uh at that point but a lot of moving p- pieces of that puzzle man a lot of moving pieces of that puzzle we will see how that all works out okay Next up, and last question of the day, guys. This one comes to us from Batman vs. Deadpool, who writes, Hey, John, here's a question for you. How do you enjoy movies when terrible things are happening in the world? COVID, climate, politics, etc. I mean, I know movies are meant to make you escape, but I can't just switch my brain off. What are your thoughts? It's exactly it. It's how do you enjoy any of the pleasures in life when there's terrible things going on? right? How can you enjoy um, your mom's smile? My mom's smile is still one of the greatest things in the world to me, but how can you enjoy your mom's smile when there are terrible things going on in the world? Well, one can argue that the terrible things going on in the world are the things that make me appreciate the good things even more. How can you enjoy a delicious plate of pasta or lasagna when there are terrible things going on in the world? Well, one could argue that the fact that there are a lot of crappy things going on just makes me appreciate the things that are really good. How can you appreciate a good TV show or a good movie when there are some crappy things going on in the world? I would argue that the crappiness that goes on in the world right now only makes me appreciate those things even more and only makes it more important that you savor those moments. You know, when there's, when there's a lot of garbage out there, I think it's it's the good things in life. And to me, we as a species are storytellers and, and telling stories is one of the greatest things we've ever done as a species. But I would say it's, it's in the midst of things being really crappy, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a bunch of political upheaval, in the midst of all this stuff. It's the good things that remind us of what it is we're working for. It's the good things that we have to cherish even more in the midst of all that. So, what I would say, and it's a great question, Batman v. Deadpool. It's a great, great question. But again, I would just go back to that same mantra chant I've just been, I've just said like three or four times. It is these crappy things, COVID, climate, politics, etc., that make me appreciate the good stuff even more. And so, when we're having all sorts of crap, when I can sit down and watch Mandalorian. And just have fun and imagine and dream and experience something as fun as that. It just makes it all richer, you know? And uh, when things are bad, listen, I always enjoy talking to my mom or seeing my dad. But when things are particularly rough, when I get to see my mom or my dad, it just makes it even more special to me. It's hard for me to to quantify it more than that. But again, bottom line for me, it's in the midst of the bad that makes me appreciate the good even more. And, And that's why, yeah, all that stuff's going on. But not only does it not take away my enjoyment of the good things we have in this case, things like great movies or TV shows, whatever, it makes me appreciate them even more. So that's how I would address it. Excellent question, man. And I'm glad that you asked. All right, guys, listen. For people like uh, <laughs> Doolittle Sucks, Wakanda Forever, Dom's by Vibramian, uh, Mindset and On, do not worry, guys. We're going to start off tomorrow's John Campia show with, when we get to the live questions part of the show, we're going to start off with your questions. So thank you so much, guys. But that will do it for us for now, guys. Listen. Thank you so much to all you guys for taking time to check out this video. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in those questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, because you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us involved here with the John Campia Show. Thank you guys very, very much for that. All right, guys. Remember, do the four main things. Stay smart. Stay safe. Take care of yourselves. And please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for us for now until tomorrow's show. My name's John Campia, And until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.